The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So relax, grab your cup of tea, your glass of wine, your water bottle, whatever it is. It's time to chat. Let's go. Welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today because I love it when we chat. And I know I say that every time, but the truth is I really honestly feel that it's great to have our conversations. I always love your feedback. I like to hear what you're thinking, and I really just appreciate you, and I want to let you know that. So last week, if you tuned in, we had a conversation about some of the contributions of blacks to the field of OBGYN and to medicine in general. But it was great to highlight some of those contributions. It was great to highlight the people that made the contributions because you really have to know your history and you have to actively search Otherwise, this information will never be available to you. So this week, we're going to do something a little different. It's Wellness Week. And I don't know about you, but work has me feeling a special kind of exhausted. Like lately, life has felt like wake up, commute, work, commute, go to bed, repeat. And it just, it feels like a never ending cycle. And when I get to work, I feel like I'm not getting anything done. Like I'm not accomplishing anything. I used to love this work, but I just don't know anymore. If you can identify with everything that I just said, you might be dealing with burnout. According to the International Classification of Diseases, the ICD-11, burnout is defined as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is further categorized as having three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, ding, 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 increased mental distance from one's job, ding, ding, or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, ding, 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 and reduced professional efficacy. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Am I speaking to you? Am I speaking to you? The truth is, it's not always easy to realize you're burned out when you're going through it. I know I didn't. I continue to describe my symptoms, which is basically all of those symptoms, never quite calling it by its name. And sometimes it's the people around you who notice first as you just try to push through and get the work done. But burnout is a serious issue that can greatly affect all other parts of your life if left unmanaged, not to mention your actual work. It's such a serious issue that the World Health Organization is developing evidence-based guidelines on mental well-being in the workplace. 
The impact of burnout has become more apparent over the last three years. The American Psychological Association has a 2021 work and well-being survey of 1,501, so 1,501 U.S. adult workers, and it revealed that 79% of employees had experienced work-related stress in the month before the survey. That's basically 80%. Nearly three in five employees reported negative impacts of work-related stress, including lack of interest, motivation, or energy. That was about 26% of people. Lack of effort at work, that was about 19% of people. Meanwhile, 36% reported cognitive weariness, 32% reported emotional exhaustion, and an astounding 44% reported physical fatigue. And that increased from 38% since 2019. Excuse me, that is a 38% increase since 2019. Those are very different statements. Which profession has the highest rate of burnout? I'm going to pause right there so you can think about it. Think about it. All right. Tell me. Okay. If you guessed K through 12 teachers, you're correct. They were at the top of the list with approximately 44% stating that they felt burnt out at work or they felt they had burnout at work in a recent Gallup news poll. However, you don't have to be a teacher to experience burnout. Healthcare, professional services, government and public policy, and retail weren't far behind. At this point, it seems like it's harder to find a profession where people aren't feeling burnt out, honestly. To discuss the topic further, I've invited a special guest on the show today, Dr. Taniqua Miller, MD. She has used her own experience with burnout to help us on our path to healing. And I'm not going to give her bio here because I introduced her when we're actually having the conversation and I introduced how I found her, but just get comfortable, relax. This is going to be a good conversation. And before I forget, I also have to mention what a wonderful human being she is because I had a childcare issue and had to watch the baby during this podcast and he made his podcast debut. You will hear him, but she took it like a champ. So let's listen. Hello and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'm so excited to have a special guest today, not the little baby that you hear talking in the background. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have a special guest for our conversation, Dr. Taniqua Miller. And I just want to give a brief introduction because she is phenomenal before we welcome her to the show. Dr. Taniqua Miller is a board-certified OBGYN and national certified menopause uh, menopause practitioner committed to supporting women and girls through their reproductive transitions and beyond. She has an educational platform, Taniqua MD, through which she empowers women of color to embrace a boundless midlife. She has a BA from Yale, a medical degree from Harvard. Mm -mm. And after over 14 years in academic medicine, Dr. Miller experienced professional burnout, making the decision to pause her clinical practice. She is a transformative speaker and professional coach for her signature program, Burnout to Boundless group coaching program. And her mission is for all women of color to turn their burnout stories into their boundless triumphs. I love this. Welcome, Dr. (laughs) Miller. Doctor, thank you so much. Now, what, what, what I didn't tell you was that the baby is here as my hype man. 
<laughs> yes, and he is going to hype you up. I'm sure our whole, our whole show today. <laughs> but welcome, and I I have to tell everyone how I found you, how I discovered you. A friend of mine has a colleague who left clinical practice and she was like, oh, you should follow this doctor. And because I followed that doctor on social media, you began to pop up on my social media. And I had about a year and a couple of months ago, I also um, experienced burnout and I left clinical practice and I loved what I did. I loved my patients. I loved the interactions and the empowerment. And I loved all of that, but I just it just didn't feel the same. I found myself kind of mm, behaving in ways and just not not feeling good. And I knew that something wasn't right. So when I saw you and I would see your post would pop up, I was like, she is speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I quickly became a follower and a commenter and a liker of like pretty much everything that you say. But can you talk oh, about- you. <laughs> You're welcome. Talk about your experience and how you kind of reached that point and became passionate about burnout. Absolutely. Thank, well, first, thank you. Thank you for those comments. I think that especially when we're in our burnout journeys, we tend to say very isolated because there's a lot of shame associated with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the outside world looking in, they would say on paper, oh my gosh, you have everything that I would ever want, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like it's an amazing career. I think being a physician is still very much highly coveted and respected for the most part. But then you show up to work every day in tears or angry or raging mm -hmm. or just feeling uncomfortable in your body. And you're just like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? And so the shame that we feel keeps us isolated, keeps us kind of like grinding away, hoping for a better day. And the more that I started telling my story and telling a lot of like what I felt was like the pain inflicted on me by being in medicine, I found that I was setting people free, that people would mm. say, you know, you are saying exactly what had. And so I kept talking and I kept talking <laughs> and I kept putting uh -huh. it out there and it was messy and sometimes it's not cute mm -hmm. and it is what it is. But I found that it really, if I can tell my story and make someone else feel like they're not alone. That is why I'm doing this. Really appreciate comments. You know, I would say that the experience of burnout in medicine really started almost two years ago. I started feeling this restlessness around the pandemic. I felt like all hands were on deck. Uh, I felt incredibly supported in my department. I still had a lot of passion. Obviously there was a lot of anxiety about the unknowns of COVID, but I think for the most part, I felt okay until I noticed the language changing in my institution. So our institution really relies on the work of its physicians to generate mm -hmm. revenue. And where, as, whereas we started out feeling like we're all in this together, once there was some better understanding of COVID and its sequela and all of these things, I noticed there was this push that, okay, no, these doctors have to get back to work. Mm -hmm. The pandemic wasn't over, but it's like, no, 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 you need to get back to work. And not only do you need to get back to work, you need to get back to work at like your pro your current productivity or even higher. And I remember that there wasn't a lot of like leeway. There wasn't a lot of give for some of the stressors that as a parent that I was experiencing. So school closures and not knowing what I was going to do with my children, mm. not being able to like have family fly in to support me. And it was just kind of like, well, this is part of what being a doctor is get it together. Mm. Mm. And I started seeing like the language around the care of all, the care of your highest assets, your employees started to change. And so I knew at that point, I was like, you know, I'm such a people person. This language makes me feel really uncomfortable. I didn't know why, mm -hmm. that I just started exploring like 
what is my next move? And so I started working with a coach and in our first session, we distilled down three things that I was really passionate about. One, mentorship and advising. Mm -hmm. So how can I get my way into that space? Two, quote, I am bigger than an RVU, right? This idea that like I'm bigger than my productivity, my brain, my, my innovation, everything that makes me me is bigger than just kind of showing up and seeing patients. And that mm -hmm. is really what I felt that I was being cast in a role of being just a worker. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really just want to take care of women. And when you kind of get bogged down in the stress of being productive, it takes that away from you. And I think that when I went to medical school, I didn't really see it as that. It was very aspirational for me, what I wanted to do with my life. But it started leaving, that, that kind of like, I've made it feeling was leaving me. And so over the year, I started doing the things that I was really passionate about, but like in what? academic, mm -hmm. like, so I started, I was a small group advisor. So I started working with medical students and I found that to be incredibly impactful, working with incredible students who were just like amazing thinkers. I feel like this generation is going to change medicine. <laughs> they really have a lot of boundaries that they put yes. into place. Mm -hmm. And I was just so impressed. And so they taught me just as much as I felt like I was teaching them. I also stepped into some leadership roles. So I became the chair of my departmental DEI committee, something that I've always been committed to my mm -hmm. entire life. You know, in undergrad, I was co-president of the Black Pride Union, and I did all of this work around um, counseling with first students. So it was something that was always really important to me. And I really stepped into that leadership role. And it was weird because I was stepping into this role thinking that I wanted to make big change. But the other piece that kind of came from this was that I was trying to be promoted. Mm. So anything that was coming my way, I was trying to do, honestly. All right. Well, I'm going to just pause for a second there. Dr. Miller has made so many important points. And I think we'll just start with talking about the pandemic. The pandemic was a time of reckoning for, I think, everyone. It was really a time to step back and prioritize and think about the risks that we are taking and if the work that we were doing was worth the risk. And, you know, I recognize that this was, we might all have been contemplating this, but it wasn't possible for everybody to say, you know, I'm not going to work or I'm not going to go into the office. There definitely was a divide as far as who was able to go and who wasn't. And I also found myself on the side where I had to go in providing care for patients. And if you listened to one of the podcasts that I did on my OB journey, that was part of what made me decide okay, maybe I need to step back and figure out how to do something else. Another thing that she mentioned during the pandemic when she talked about the language, and we continued our conversation after the podcast was finished, but some of the language that we talked about was how they discussed healthcare providers. And there was really this effort to kind of almost militarize us in the language. You know, when healthcare providers take their oath to do no harm, no part of the oath says, I'm going to risk my life and I'm going to risk the lives of my family members. And that's really something that they were asking providers to do and something that many people were more than happy to step up. You know, we have a sense of altruism. However, not all of us were willing to be in a situation where 
I'm willing to sacrifice my partner's health or I'm willing to sacrifice my children's health. So specific language things were, there were statements about deploying physicians. Physicians don't get deployed. Soldiers get deployed. So that's kind of what she's talking about there. All right, let's keep going. And I realized, especially in the DEI space, that a lot of it for me was very performative, that there really wasn't that big commitment that I had wanted. Right. And I think a lot of people came to that (laughs) conclusion. All of the, all of the, I mean, you could see it from Google searches that like in 2020, you had all of this interest in racial justice, social justice, DEI work. And then now it's kind of tapered off. And so being in a role like that, something that I'm super passionate about and kind of seeing it not really come to fruition mm-hmm. um, the way that I it had envisioned it was also really um, difficult for me. And so it was after a meeting where I was leading a DEI charge that I was told that I wasn't inclusive enough, that I was questioned why I had centered underrepresented in medicine uh, applicants as part of our residency recruitment. And I literally was told that I wasn't being inclusive enough, that people did not feel fully involved and engaged in the work of the DEI committee that I was leading, that I kind of had my breakdown where I found myself in the car about to see, you know, a panel of 14 patients in a four hour block. And I literally had like pounding chest pain, gripping the steering wheel in my car, feeling like I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So like, what am I doing this slow for? Build up. Yeah, it's like, what am I doing this for? And so it was this slow buildup over two years, but I really felt like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh my goodness. I mean, you have said <laughs> so much in there that I, there are so many things like I, I wanted to be like, bup, 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 but I wanted you to get through it because everything was just hitting as per usual with you. But um, I love that you brought up this expectation in medicine. I think what people don't realize, or maybe they do, is that medicine is full of really high achievers and people who are, you know, we set these goals and then we one by one kind of knock them off. You do undergrad, then you go to um, medical school, and then you go to residency, and then you go to practice. We are constantly getting tested and reaching to, you know, get this high test level. And so once you reach a certain point, you're like, what's next? (laughs) You know, because you have just been achieving, 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 achieving. And sometimes when you get there, you realize, no, this isn't quite what I expected to be. Or you imagine that the practice is going to be one way and, you know, you're going to be valued for all of the years that you put in and all that you've given and all the sacrifices that you make. Because often with going into medicine, you give up your entire 20s, you delay having children, you know, you make a lot of sacrifices from a personal standpoint as well. And so then to be working and find that really they're just looking at you like plug and play okay, you're not going to do this. You know, you're not going to be my worker bee. That's fine. I'll remove you and focus on this person. You can be easily replaced. Mm-hmm. It is not what you anticipated. It is not what you expected. And, you know, everybody wants to be valued and appreciated. So um, I'm I'm also still stuck on the fact that they said that you weren't inclusive enough. <laughs> you know, there were conversations that led up to that. I will be honest. And uh-huh. I couldn't really make heads or tails of why in my leadership, I was being questioned. And I thought like, you know, I really beat myself up. I'm like, am I being naive? Like, am I not as good as I think I am? Because I I think that the decisions that I'm making Mm. around some of the content that we were trying to put out from the DEI committee standpoint, mind you, with no time 
or very limited time for me. My associate had no time. My committee had no time. So everyone was just kind of like trying to do and piece together out of the goodness mm -hmm. of their heart, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it was really challenging. So there were conversations that came up even before that, that was always challenging ideas that I have. It's like, but what is this other institution doing? And um, what literally, like, I felt like I had to come with a literature search every time mm -hmm. I had a meeting. And, mm -hmm. and it was really demoralizing, to be honest with you. I'm and sure. so when we had this success, what I thought was a really successful recruitment season, where we recruited over five underrepresented minority applicants out of nine residents in a place like Atlanta, I really felt that it was a victory, that the work that, that the work that I had been building on for so many years, this was like a true manifestation of that. And so in that meeting to not feel, to not even get like a pat on the back, but to feel right. as though it wasn't enough or that I was excluding other groups was really hurtful, frankly. And what she's mentioning is a trend that you may or may not be aware of, but Essentially, according to the Women in the Workplace 2018 study, women of color are not only significantly underrepresented, but they're also far less likely than others to be promoted to manager, they're more likely to face everyday discrimination, and they are less likely to receive support from their managers. So let's look at more of the survey findings. We love to go to the data. For every 100 men promoted to manager, only 60 black women are. 40% of Black women have had their judgment questioned in their area of expertise, okay? I can hear you saying amen or yeah, me too. 27% of men have. Only 35% of Black women said their manager promotes their contributions to others, while 46% of men said their manager does. So you can, you know, just correlate that with exactly what she said, just feeling like the work that she was doing, the work that she was hired to do, the work that she was asked to do, and the work that she was more than well equipped to do was not valued. And it had been building. And, and I realized, you know, one of the things that I think about is how did, man, how did burnout manifest for me? Mm -hmm. It was the irritability. It was mm. literally not wanting to step out of bed on a Monday, like, oh, I got to do this. It was literally me sitting in the car, in the parking lot at work, and having to give myself pep talks <laughs> and breathing exercises just to make it in the building. It was literally me raging all the time, being that Debbie down. And literally, I felt as though I didn't want to be around me. My husband who was like, okay, I feel like you're back. <laughs> but like, he had to live with me. My children had to live with me. And I was always raging and angry. And, and finally, it was just kind of like, this is not the life that I want to live. This is right. not the parent that I want to be. This is not the partner that I want to be. Something has to give, something has to change. And so on this particular day, when I was told that I wasn't being inclusive enough, I showed up to work raging per usual. Mm. And one of my colleagues said to me, I think you need a break. You have been really unhappy for some time. I think you're burnt out and you need a break. And oh, wow. you know, let's be clear. I was like, just a girl. I don't take breaks. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> too, as like Black women, we feel like we don't take breaks. You know, that right, we get it done. We're not. Burnout is luxury. Like, so I'm yeah. first generation and that's all about my platform. I'm a first generation, like American. My family's from Trinidad, mm -hmm. um, college graduate, medical doctor. There are so many firsts that I had to get through that mm -hmm. you just push through. And so the idea of being burnt out seemed like a luxury that I couldn't afford. It, 
also just didn't really resonate with kind of my lived experience with my family. Mm -hmm. And so when she said it, I was like, I wouldn't even know what I would do. And she said, you do nothing or you do everything, but take time for yourself. And that is so awesome because if there's anything that very ambitious, successful, driven people rarely do is take time for themselves. Being self-aware, and I guess at this point, she wasn't quite self-aware, but somebody outside of her was aware and was able to call that to her attention and to say that to her, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And so I allowed myself in that moment to be carried, to have somebody else look out for me. And I took my leave. And over that time, like over that four weeks, it was life-changing. Not only was I able to rest, but I was able to just listen to myself. Mm -hmm. That's like a little woo-woo for people, but like literally sit in silence. When they talk about meditation, Mm -hmm. I'm terrible at it, but I would like literally go into the shower because the water... Uh-huh. It's really soothing. And I would let the universe and my intuition speak to me. And I realized that I really wasn't happy. And I really just needed to return to myself and realize a lot of hard truths that one, I needed external validation for finding my worth. And that's something that I was, I used to blame myself for. Like you should be better than that. But uh-huh. it's part of our training. It you, is. You said it. It is. It is part of our training. It's part of our training. In fact, we want to seek out favor so that we can get to the next level. Think about being a medical student and you're on your clinical rotations. Half of your grade sometimes is all subjective. It's all based on others' evaluations that tend to be very subjective. Right. And so you are trying to kind of curry favor with the attending or the resident that you're working with. You're constantly looking for someone's approval so that you can get to the next level. And I found myself now being a 40 something year old woman (laughs) where I was still trying to curry favor. And once you lose that favor and you feel cast out, it's like, what do I do now? Right. So I spent that four weeks really showing myself a lot of self-compassion, rebuilding my Mm self-trust, leaning and relying and trusting my intuition. And when I returned to work, I returned to work a different person. You talked about this a little bit, but just for everybody listening, can you just give some more information about the different symptoms of burnout for anyone yeah. who's trying to figure out, am I, bur- am I yeah, experiencing so burnout? I think emotionally burnout can show up in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. It shows up differently physically as well. And then also in some behaviors. So emotionally, not everyone's burnout is sadness. Mm-hmm. For me, it was irritability. For me, it was anxiety. For me, it was downright rage. Mm. I was, I would, I'm, I'm the doc who, you know, I deliver babies and I would walk into rooms and I would have a woman's leg on my shoulder and, and I would push and I would cheer and I would do all of these things. And then I got to a place where I literally would just hide in my call room with very Mm. little engagement. Mm -hmm. And anytime I would get a patient call, anytime I would get anything, I literally would feel annoyance. And that wasn't something that was like true to my soul, to my Mm -hmm. spirit. And so that was one of the first times that I was just like, something is not right. And I can certainly relate to this because I would get irritated and annoyed. And then I would go have a conversations with my colleagues and they were also irritated and annoyed. And you know, the truth is we were probably all burnt out, but everybody handles burnout a little differently. Let's keep listening. I also 
started noticing that I had very little tolerance for very much of anything. And so for me, when I would get home, I would pour a glass of Prosecco right away just to mm-hmm. kind of like de-stress from the day. Right. And it was something that right. was becoming more and more and more of a habit, which again, I like Prosecco. But when I was even starting to question, what glass is this? Am I on my second or on my third, right? Mm-hmm. But I knew that that was something that was, again, not true to me. For some people, that numbing piece can be a lot of other ways, like self-harm. And we know that as physicians, we have some of the highest rates of suicide of all professions in the United States. Yes. And for female physicians, our suicide rate is over 400% higher than the general population. Oh my goodness. And so while I never felt that low that I was just like, ah, I want to just end this all, I do know that there are people out there that do feel that way or they have a feeling of hopelessness mm-hmm. or physically in their bodies, they just don't feel like they can go on because they feel so miserable about what they're experiencing at work. Right. And, and there's a lot of trauma in medicine. And, and I don't think that right. we give ourselves a lot of time to process that. How often have you thought to yourself after a particularly hard or stressful day at work, how you can't wait to go home and kick your feet up, have a glass of wine and you know, maybe that glass of wine will turn into two, three, maybe even the whole bottle. We find lots of ways to cope with our stress and what we're dealing with. Let's keep listening. Physically for me, burnout manifested as chest pain. It was something that I picked up in residency, my anxiety um, that would show up only on certain rotations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, GYN oncology. the first time I had this like heaviness in my chest and I was like, what's happening to me? And it was always on that rotation. And it was so funny because sometimes our call schedules would switch that even if you're on a G1 oncology rotation, maybe for the weekend, you're covering labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. Literally, as I was walking to labor and delivery, the chest pain would recede. And I was like, oh, I think that this is anxiety. And so after residency, it went away for a quite some time. But then I started feeling that chest discomfort again. And I was like, oh, something is making me really anxious. For some Mm -hmm. people, it could be stomach troubles. So you hear about people who have like terrible abdominal pain or they really have like an imbalance in how they feel with um, their digestive tract. And so there's just, and then even chronic, just, just chronic fatigue, chronic pain, all of the things that you think are very just generalized to kind of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just generally feeling fatigued, but it doesn't feel normal. That too could be a sign of burnout. And I feel like so many people kind of push those signs away because they are so nonspecific. But when you start moving through your journey and start really healing from that burnout, then you start feeling better. It's like (laughs) remarkable. I haven't had chest pain in I don't know how long. These are all physical symptoms of anxiety that she describes. Stomach pain, nausea, headache, insomnia, weakness, fatigue, feeling short of breath, heart pounding or a really fast heart rate, sweating, trembling, shaking, muscle tension or pain. All of these can be physical manifestations of anxiety. That's funny. I I knew it had to be GYN oncology because that's how I felt. Going into my GYN oncology rotation. It's funny. I, I like want to interject. You're just saying, um, just hitting so many, so many points. But your husband noticed, you know, I think that was the thing for me 
like my husband noticed and you're right. We are just trained to push through. We push through, we get it done and okay, maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe I'm tired, whatever, but I'm going to get it done because that's what I do. And so, you know, I think that's an excellent point that sometimes it's your family members <laughs> coming to you and saying, Hey, this is, you are not being quite yourself. You took four weeks. Did you feel like, I know you said you came back feeling refreshed. Did you feel like four weeks was enough? Like how long does it take to recover from burnout? Ah, it, it's recovering. <laughs> it's, an, it's active. You know, mm -hmm. I was not ready to come back at four weeks. I'll be very frank. I remember my first day back, I cried. Um, mm. It was like being thrown back in. I think for me also, and I think that this is just like the atmosphere. While wellness is really like a big part of um, in the medical lexicon these days, I feel like there was a lot of, I had support. I definitely mm -hmm. had support, but I think because of the culture of medicine, you feel bad for taking time off. Mm -hmm. So I felt really badly in the beginning. I think I spent the first week, like at least once a day, like crying, feeling like I was dumping on my partners mm -hmm. because I was on call. I was on the schedule and someone's now going to have to take my call. And I did have support. I definitely felt like I had support, but you, I kind of felt bad during that time that I was now what I felt dumping on my partners. So when I returned, I was returning right back into the same environment um, at the same intensity, at the mm -hmm. same speed. And it was a lot to come back to. And it wasn't a function, you know, that I, I mean, I could do this with my eyes closed. <laughs> you get to a point course, in your practice yeah. that you just feel like I can literally do this with my eyes closed. It's so, it's so, um, it's so humbling to see my residents maybe struggle with decisions that. I'm like 10 steps ahead of them in a surgical case or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to kind of see them think it through. So this is work that I've been doing for so long. The work wasn't hard, but the mm -hmm. environment and the atmosphere and the pace and the intensity and all of the messaging of kind of like, it's so busy and everything is so busy. And we have all of these like, demands pulling you from here and there really, really like made it a challenge to come back. Um, and so, no, I don't think that four weeks was enough, but I was grateful to have that time. I think I would have been personally uncomfortable to take more time, mm -hmm. but what I did commit to myself and to my spouse was that when I came back, I, something will change in six months. I didn't know what that something was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, but during the four weeks, when I started kind of building out this framework for myself, what I call my burnout to boundless framework was this idea that how am I living balance? And actually it came from during this time, I felt like I needed some spiritual, some spiritual health check. Of course. And because I felt like where I, I was feeling like, where did I go wrong? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how did I get here? Me, me, the overachiever me, how did I get to this place? And so I was really like searching for like, some answers on a deeper level than just kind mm -hmm. of like Googling burnout. Right. Mm -hmm. And one day I opened up this devotional that I had and the message was be boundless. And I can't really remember what's happening that day, but it was very early on in my time off, but something stuck out to me with the term boundless. And the message went on to say, be life's muse. And I really reflected in the last two, three, four years, am I being life's muse? Am I really living fully my potential or am I 
waving someone else's flag. Right. Right. Like, am I, am I just showing up and doing things? Because I think that that's what is expected of me because I'm chasing some accolade I'm chasing some, you know, external validation. I want to be promoted. I want to do all of these things. And I feel like I should be because I've been here for this X amount of time. And I really had to get clear on what would it be to live some a boundless life? What would that look like? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I took my um, strengths finders test and I had taken it before, but then I really went back and looked at it and said, okay, these are your strengths. How are you, mani- how is your strength being manifested? So if you can imagine, my adjective is talkative Taniqua. <laughs> <laughs> and all of my strengths come from communication and winning over others and positivity and all of these things. Yeah, I wasn't doing any of that stuff. And so I started mm-hmm. like saying, what can I do to kind of move out of this funk that I'm in and really embody the strengths that I know are God-given? Mm-hmm. And because I have a mouthpiece and I run my mouth, I was like, well, maybe I should invest in speaking. Mm-hmm. And so that August, I had joined a speaking mastermind and it fit like a glove. And I had an amazing coach and I really kind of like did the nuts and bolts of speaking, understanding, story development, arc, all of this stuff. I got professionalized and I had media kits made and all of these things like that. And I just started applying for speaking. And through that, not only was I able to meet so many different people and feel like I was touching so many different lives, but it helped me really restore faith in myself and trust in myself. And I started admiring myself again, as opposed to just saying, oh girl, get over it, you know? And so I always tell people when they're feeling stuck, go back to baseline, go back to yourself, go back to who you were, that little kid before all of this noise started Mm -hmm. to get in the way and just find out what your strengths are. I, I love that. And a big part of that, and what I really liked is that you talk about we do it that we have a tendency sometimes when the in the day to day especially when the day to day is very busy to kind of get complacent and that we are just going through doing all the things that we're supposed to do and i agree exactly at some point you find yourself in a situation where you're like you know what this maybe is not what i intended to do i know that happened for me i looked around and i was like i i also love speaking they don't call me talkative stephanie but <laughs> But in their minds, they probably think that that woman is talkative. I love education. So I love talking. I love education. I love educating patients was my favorite thing. I was one of the few people that loved seeing people in the office because it was the perfect time to be one-on-one, like really empowering them and making sure that they understood not just what we were doing, but why we were doing it and that they felt empowered to ask questions and so on and so forth. And when I would look for opportunities to do that in my job, I couldn't find them. And I just had to step back and I said, you know, this is what you said you wanted to do before you started. You are not doing any of this. You are going to work, going to labor and delivery, doing your surgeries. And, you know, I think it takes, it can take a lot to get to that point, to even have that realization. So It is so important every now and then just to take a step back in what you're doing and assess and say, okay, is this where I want to be? And if it's not, make the changes because otherwise you'll end up experiencing burnout. (laughs) And be brave in your changes. So when I came back, 
you know, I really had to do the work to say, what really is my purpose? What lights me up in my day-to-day? What is the thing that I love? And it's loving taking care of my women in midlife. I have the, the menopause certification and it absolutely is like what I live for in my clinical experiences, just talking to these women in a very taboo subject. I say menopause is used for comedic relief, right? Like in um, in media. And so to really be yeah. able to center them and really listen, mm-hmm. listen to patients, which I don't think that we really do a lot yeah. of, it really restored my my joy in medicine and so it became clear that if there's anything that does not align with that I walked away from so I literally came back to work like dropping bombs like I resigned from this I resigned from that I resigned from this and the first time you do it (laughs) right 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 so the first time you do it you're like did I just do that because we're looking for that external validation right Mm -hmm. I wanted to be promoted Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I can't be promoted doing the things that I love to do, then it's not for me. And I, and you have to build some real self-trust and confidence to do that. But literally, as I started, as I started like kind of letting go of things that I was just doing really because I felt like I needed to do it, or, mm-hmm. there was this lightness that came out and it gave me time to do the things that I really love, like my speaking mastermind. And now I'm in the doctor coach school. So it gave me time to do the things that I really have joy in Mm -hmm. and so I feel really light I feel free honestly I'm notorious for this or at least I have been doing things because you felt that you needed to do them and I still actually it's something that I'm working on as I decide do I want to go back into full-time clinical practice do I want to do part-time clinical practice and then where does my chance to continue the podcast go where does my chance to continue to interact with you and to continue to have our conversations of empowerment and health literacy and so I love that she brought this up can you think about something in your life that you're doing because you think professionally that you have to do it and can you imagine what it would be like to just let it go and how would it feel to just focus on what it is that you actually want to do and make a living from that and for me um I had a webinar last night and the question is well when you're going through burnout do you need to leave your job Mm -hmm. and I don't think that that's the case but you really have to do, take really a good inventory of what your current role offers you and if it is alignment with your purpose and mm-hmm. your strengths. And I realized that for me, there wasn't a, an opportunity to do the things that I really wanted to do uh, long-term. And so I found other opportunities or I'm finding other opportunities or I just knew that there were other opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. And so it was time to go. Mm-hmm. It was time to go. So for me, that the right decision but no I think that when you get clear on what you want if your institution or your your business or what have you will enable you to have an opportunity to pursue those things don't be scared do it but sometimes it does require you to become a little courageous and let some things go yes I think that faith faith Mm. part is a big one you know we we talk about faith and having faith but exercising your faith is a different story it is. But it's muscle. <laughs> it, right? It, it, you're right. It is. I have found myself taking risks and doing things that mm-hmm. I just, you know, with my limited mindset before, I never would have thought to have done or things maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable right. reaching out to this woman I don't know on social media. <laughs> <laughs> to ask 
beyond beyond the show. I do have one more question that I want to ask you before we go. So how do you think that women and Black and Indigenous people of color specifically, how are how are we uniquely affected by burnout? Yeah, this is this is my entire burnout to boundless platform. Mm-hmm. Burnout is very um, sexy. It's very like luxury, I feel like these days. And it really doesn't necessarily represent all of the experiences that we have because burnout is just not just is not just professional dissatisfaction or what have you. There are other components that affect us, like racism, mm-hmm. like sexism, oh, yes, that's right, like misogyny. And I think that that is unique to our experience. Why? Because when I'm sitting in those meetings and as a Black woman who has devoted a lot of her life to making inclusive environments and being told that I'm not inclusive, I'm having to wear my mask, right? Right. And I'm having to kind of take it because I don't want to be deemed uh, not a team player or I'm angry or I have an attitude. And I'm ever aware of that. And that's just an extra layer and an extra burden that I feel like our colleagues who do not identify as BIPOC may feel. And so I think when we experience burnout, there's a there's there's another layer to it. Shonda Rhimes calls it the first only different, that you're the first in the space or you're the only in the space or you're just different from everyone around your space. You're automatically going to have the pressure to feel like you have to perform better than everyone, Mm -hmm. because if you're performing on par, you may be seen as performing under everyone. Right. And so for me, I've, I've realized that. And I recognize that that was a big component that I had to combat, but in getting back to myself and shoring up my own self-confidence and my own self-trust and my courage, I felt like I was able to navigate that. But yeah, I think that is very unique to our circumstances, not just professional dissatisfaction, but we're having to contend with a lot of other isms. Yeah, I I agree. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I am going to, in the podcast, include all of your information so everyone knows how to get in touch with you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> that was such an awesome conversation to have. And I hope as you listened, you got a sense of how to identify signs of burnout and how to really kind of reassess at any given point in time how you're feeling and what you're doing and find joy in what you're doing by making sure that you are actually infusing the things that you want to do into your work. If you want more information about Dr. Miller, you can find her on her website, TaniquaMD.com. That's T-A-N-I-Q-U-A-M-D.com. And if you want to connect or follow all of her awesome content on Instagram, her Instagram is at TaniquaMillerMD. That's T-A-N-I-Q-U-A MillerMD. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode and you want more like this, please go ahead and leave a positive review wherever you are listening. And if you have thoughts or concerns or stories that you want to share, topics that you want to cover, please send me a message, drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Otherwise, don't forget to subscribe to the blog, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also connect with me through at ladypartsdoc on Instagram. You can also DM me topic ideas. I love that. I have a lot of people that do that and it's great for generating content and making sure that I'm staying on topic with what you want to talk about. You can also follow me on Twitter, on YouTube, 
and TikTok. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Mm-hmm.